On this edition of the Triple Double Podcast, Matt and Justin discuss the opening night of the NBA. Which players made the biggest impact? What did the host think about the new presentation elements? They also discuss Orlando Magic player Jonathan Isaac not standing for the national anthem. And they give their thoughts with the New York Knicks hiring their new coach Tom Thibodeau. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at triple-double-podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? Time for a quick uh, minute of Matt struggles to keep up with pop culture. Just wanted to give you the update that I finally watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 last oh, night. Nice. So I, I am, uh, you know, keeping on track with about, uh, I don't know, everything from like five, six years ago, <laughs> whenever that movie came out. Um, anyway, it was awesome. We loved it. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, since you brought that up, are you watching all those movies in order or just randomly picking Marvel movies? Or just wanted to see that one? Well, we wanted to see that one because... I got my wife to watch Guardians of the Galaxy because I, I happened to watch that on my own uh, because of the encouragement of some friends. They're like, ah, it's awesome. You're going to love it. I was kind of like, okay, cool. But, you know, for some reason, when everyone tells me something is going to be awesome, I hesitate to watch it. This happened sure. way back in the day with Pirates of the Caribbean. It took me <laughs> probably like three years after that movie came out to actually sit down and watch it just because everyone was telling me I had to watch it. I, I don't yeah. know. I guess it's some strange defiance I have, but anyway, so those in order, yes, but we have already, even previously before I saw guardians of the galaxy, we had seen Thor Ragnarok, which mm -hmm. I think was after the first guardians of the galaxy. Anyway, I'm, I'm way off. It's basically the main point here. So, uh, but yeah, we, we enjoyed it very much and uh we'll probably look into some of those other movies for sure I, i'm like way behind on like i still haven't seen winter soldier i did see captain oh. america when that was in theaters but sure I don't know, we're talking like way back <laughs> well man you definitely uh check out those movies um i um uh, with everything the pandemic going on um i got my girlfriend to see pretty much all of the marvel movies so we're just waiting nice. we have incredible hulk and then we have um, the, the last most recent Spider-Man movie. Um, and she's pretty much enjoyed the majority of them, to, to, to my surprise, because that's not usually a genre she seeks out. But uh, she, she enjoyed the majority of them. That's awesome. Yeah, they do a good job with the humor. I mean, I think that's they do. why we've enjoyed Guardians, both of those, and Thor Ragnarok. I mean, the humor was way over the top in, in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, listeners, you're probably snoozing right now. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm catching up to you guys. Um, so if you want my Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 review, uh, I'll do that someday, I guess. <laughs> Two For thumbs sure. up. Well, it relates to the NBA. I mean, you know, Zion's favorite Marvel character is Thanos. Um, oh, that he has a, I think he even has a chain of Thanos. He, he rocks. If you just kept, check out his Instagram, you can see it or Twitter handle. Um, 
But uh, anyways, a lot to discuss. The, the NBA has finally returned. Uh, we, we've talked about the WNBA returning and having games. The NBA is back. Um, started with opening night on Thursday. It's been going on um, pretty much throughout the weekend as I speak as Sunday night on August um, 2nd here. Um, just right now to seeing the warm-ups for uh, Houston and Milwaukee. So there's been games uh, happening all through uh, the entire weekend. So we'll discuss that. Uh, we'll break down some ratings um, in terms of opening nights of the NBA and Major League Baseball. Uh, we'll discuss the Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac. Uh, he has decided to uh, stand during the national anthem um, compared to his teammates. So we'll discuss the backlash and the kind of ramifications that he has received. And we'll break down um, Tom Thibodeau as the new um, head coach of the New York Knicks. Uh, how will that go? Uh, if you listen to the show, I think you know what I'm going to say, uh, but uh, stay tuned for that. And um, we'll have some other thoughts on opening night as well. But as always, you get in touch through the show, um, through social media, either Facebook or Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Really help us out on there. And if you have any feedback, any questions, we will read that on our show, triple double podcast at gmail.com. Um, also, don't miss our past interviews. Um, it, it ranges from a great selection of um, just journalists, um, experts, authors on the world of basketball, and also media members um, just dealing with the pandemic uh, from a sports perspective. Um, they have a really awesome insight uh, on how the pandemic uh, has affected not only their lives, but also the athletes that they cover. So please um, go listen to that. So, Matt, um, let's not waste any time and let's hop into uh, specifically opening night. So, First, before we really hop into the weeds of everything, I want to ask you this a short question. Did you watch any of these scrimmages at all? Um, or was opening night just kind of your first um, kind of step into the deep end of the return of the NBA? I, I did watch a lot of the scrimmages, actually. I watched about, I think, four of the scrimmages. Okay. Um, not all of them. In the, I think two of them I watched in their entirety. And another two, I watched about 60, 70% of the games. So I was really just excited to sit down on the couch and watch basketball with my son. Cause it was the first time we had done that together since, um, really like summer league. I mean, I was kind of just keeping up with the NBA on my own. Sure. So it was kind of cool to, to rope my son back into basketball and, um, so, so I did watch some of the scrimmages, um, and and I did catch um, good chunks of both of the opening night games. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Um, I caught a lot of highlights of the scrimmages just to get a feel of what was going on. Um, I think the games were just a lot different. Um, so I guess let's hop into it. Again, before we get into the actual games themselves, how did you like the presentation, like watching the games with with your son? Um, did you notice any kind of a difference between, um, I guess, the NBA before the NBA now? Did he happen to ask your son ask any questions regarding what was going on? Or was he able to really sense that something was a different compared to how the, the NBA is normally presented? No, he wasn't. He didn't really have any questions like where are all the people or or anything like that. He, he didn't really notice. I think because the broadcast felt kind of normal, I think the game felt pretty normal to him 
or at least if he didn't, he didn't tell me otherwise. I, I think he's he's pretty laser focused when it comes to like watching the ball and telling me when players score and, and things like that. Uh, so, and I, I think to me, it did feel like there was a level change in there from, and maybe it was just the broadcasting crew. I, I don't know what exactly it was, but it did feel like there was a level change from the scrimmages compared to the presentation on regular season night. Did you feel a similar thing? I did. I think there was a lot of focus on the social justice causes from a presentation standpoint from both ESPN and um, the NBA on TNT. I, I really, because I watched the pregame of TNT and I really enjoyed it. And it, it felt like home, you know, when you're gone, if you, I don't know if you ever go on a trip and you miss home and oh, yeah. you come home and you just, you know, you sleep in your own bed and you eat your home cooking the same thing with, you know, inside the NBA, it has felt like you're, you're back home. Um, you know, watching the, the pregame broadcast specifically, you know, Charles, not Charles, but Shaq, he was late and <laughs> stuck in traffic. So it was Ernie, <laughs> it was Ernie, Kenny and Charles and it was the worst Chuck. He's stuck in traffic. So it just, you know, all the shenanigans, gets all the goofiness. Um, it just felt like, you know, life was somewhat back to normal. So it was very nice to, to see that. Um, from a presentation, it was different. Again, you know, you seeing the national anthem was unusual, um, besides just from the, the protest of it. Because even with the NBA Finals, it's rare that, you know, you see the starting lineup. Usually you see, you know the anthem and then you know that's it and especially let alone a regular season game you never see the anthem for that so we saw it for multiple games it was um both games of the double header both games for espn um so it's that was i would say a huge change i would say another weird change was when the broadcasters i don't know if you caught this map but you would have um i don't know kevin harlan and reggie miller they would be separated by a glass like separated. Mm, mm-hmm. So at first I'm thought, are they separated? I know um, Skeets brought this up on no dunks. Like, are they in a different location? It was, I thought they were, but they were just separated by a glass divide. I think even as Mark Jones and Doris Burke, like they, did, they did a fist pound on the glass. So they're right next to each other. Um, <laughs> that was a little bit like jarring to me. I was like, where, where are they at? Like they're right next to each other or um, are they separated? So that was different. Um, I think in terms of the, presentation on the court i love this sneakers the sneakers squeaking um i love the chatter from the players i think and I, they don't ever do this but um especially for league pass if they just did a uncensored version like this you know hey 20 bucks you know ten dollars more you get everything what the players are saying i would i would consider paying for that because um, I think mm-hmm. there is a value um, in seeing that. I mean, even with ESPN, they've done that with the national title game in football, where there's all sorts of different camps, right? There's you know the regular broadcasts. There's um, different commentators for the games. There's I think it's called the Homer Cam. There's the sideline reporters, so that you, sideline reporters are going back and forth. I think that's so cool. I think the NBA. I think honestly, just thinking about it, missing an opportunity to maybe capitalize on doing some presentation styles like that. Um, I would say in terms of the players specifically, I noticed a change. I enjoyed seeing the players actually play hard. Um, even though like mm-hmm. LeBron um, against the Clippers was struggling. I liked how he um, locked down on defense, like especially yeah. when it's like when you saw him against Kawhi or Paul George, it was just, there's just a, a, a different pep in his step. Um, 
And I think even in the, the Houston um, game, too, um, when we saw that, I think against the Dallas Mavericks, I mean, granted, you know, James Harden's not known for his defense, but on certain possessions, I, I saw James Harden locking down um, on on some possessions. So that's something I noticed immediately. I I personally like the intensity. It felt like normal basketball. I think Bill Simmons had an excellent point, whereas there's no fans underneath the basket. So players don't have to worry about falling into the crowd or, you know, knocking somebody's drink over, you know, mm-hmm. there's no space there. So I like that a lot. Um, so there's a lot of things in the presentation I did enjoy. I think the lack of fans, I think was noticeable. Um, I think the NBA did the best they can to really nullify that. I know Bill Simmons said the fans didn't matter, but I think as we get into closer games, and I think especially when the games came down, when it was really close, I noticed there was some life missing um, into the games. That's, that's not to follow the players or the presentation. That's just a matter of what's been going on. Um, it's just different when you have an arena of 20,000 screaming fans and there's so much pressure. Um, it's just a it's just a nice element that you get in team sports that you don't in like individual sports like we're talking about with the UFC and other and other venues. So overall, I think for me that the lack of fans with the NBA in particular, and I think the WNBA, I think it, it, it caused the presentation to be heard a little bit. I don't know if you agree with me or not on that. Yeah, I think um, I said last week that I don't miss the fans. And I, I still tend to side with what Bill Simmons said. I, I listened to that same podcast and I don't really miss the fans at this point. Like, like I said last week, I'll, I'll echo that again. It, it may be, yeah, that for the conference finals and beyond, or maybe even when the actual playoffs start, uh, there will be some kind of shift. But especially in opening night where we had both games that were only won by the winning team by two points, it felt like that intensity was there. There was maybe a little That's bit of rust from the players, but I definitely, it, it felt uh, like the peaks and valleys felt like a regular season basketball game to me. And, uh, and I was so happy to see that. So happy to see that. Okay. Awesome. We've got, th- this is the NBA. This doesn't feel like asterisk basketball to me. Th- this feels like these guys care these guys came to compete. You mentioned the the Houston Mavericks game, which was great. It's it's competition. Uh, these these guys are taking this seriously. Um, and even I, I heard another podcast this week with uh, Chris Mannix, who's a reporter who's in the bubble as sure. well, yeah. saying that he has doubts about how into it the Clippers are. But I heard that podcast after seeing the Clippers play the Lakers on opening night. And, and I could not tell that I did not get that vibe watching that game that the Clippers didn't care. I I mean, they were missing Lou Williams. So obviously, you know, they, they were a little shorthanded, but the vibe did not feel to me like, Hey, these guys don't care or don't want to be here. It it feels like the players on that court want to be there, want to compete. They have a vested interest, which I think is, is a huge win. Uh, and I, I may just be biased in in my opinion about the fans because I, I just want to see close, intense basketball. And I think it there there's no way around it that yeah, it, it feels bigger when there's an arena with screaming fans in it. There there's no way around that. So so I guess I I agree and disagree in a way. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I feel like it's still intense. It still feels like good. 
intense basketball to me. And I personally don't miss the fans, but you know, we'll see in a couple of weeks, we'll kind of revisit it and see where we are with that. Did you happen to catch any of the, any of the things that the teams were doing with the virtual fans? No, uh, elaborate on that, please. <laughs> so, so at the, at the end of either side of the court, so not where the players are sitting, not what we can see, you know, directly like when the ball's around half court area, but under under the uh, the basket, basically on the yeah. back wall, mm-hmm. each team has been able to put in their own cardboard cutouts or like gifs of different fans. So, like for example, today when the Celtics played the Trailblazers. If, if you're on Twitter looking at, um, I mean, one of the, the top trends, at least in, in my trends, which a lot of them are NBA right now, one of the trends was Paul Pierce because they were putting up lots of different gifs of Paul Pierce reacting to different things or looking stressed out about different oh, things. Oh, wow. <laughs> they also had, interestingly enough, Jason Tatum's son was, was up there. So, you know, kind of a, a cute little thing. Here's your son watching you play, Jason Tatum. I assume that was approved by him before the game. But anyway, so some of the the things have been very funny. Like the, the Pacers game from earlier today also had, there was a, a lady, I guess, who was uh, kind of internet famous from The Last Dance as um, a lady Pacers fan. And, and she was put into the virtual fan. So we're talking this lady from the mid-90s, like pointing out to the court intensely they put her in their virtual fans so i don't know it's it's just been kind of this this fun quirky element of this that yeah i mean obviously it's not it's not adding to like the intensity of the game or anything like that but it's kind of almost like you're getting twitter memes in the middle of the game that the players are able to see as they're playing which is i don't know i I think kind of humorous you're, you're making you're trying to make lemonade out of some pretty sour lemons right now for sure so just to be clear that was um basically that video board where all the it's like virtual seats is is that yes. or is that, is that okay okay that's the same board yes yeah gotcha. so there's okay. one behind each basket oh okay so because basically there's the camera side of video board where you see like seats of fans so like they're literally fans, they're cheering. Like if somebody, I don't know, if LeBron scores, like you'll see like the Lakers side, they're cheer. Um, oh, maybe it's there as well. Maybe it's all but, all of those locations. Yeah. But you're saying there's a video board actually between each basket. Um, like behind each basket, I'm pretty sure is, yeah. is where I've, I've oh, been seeing those. Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea because the camera side, at least what I've been seeing, it's always you know center court. So mm. you're seeing it behind the players uh, when they're sitting down. Um, with their benches, and then you see, you know, like if the if the Milwaukee Bucks score, like the Bucks graphic goes up, um, or Toronto, or whoever, um, and then sometimes they'll show fans or they'll run commercials or whatever um, mm-hmm. behind it. But you're saying there's video screens behind both baskets uh, when they score. That's interesting. Correct. Yeah, just different people sitting in these seats, and it's just I, I don't know. It's it's just really funny to see because like the. The proportions aren't always spot on on these no. these cutouts that they're pasting in. So I, I don't know. It just it looks hilarious to me. But 
um, you know, I, I think it's just a good good way to use the space. And then kind of another thing that just keeps you engaged as a fan because you're kind of wondering like, oh, I wonder what the Raptors are going to put under their their side this time for their fans. Or, you know, it's it's just kind of another interesting element. For sure, for sure. Um, so let's dissect some of the actual um, game gameplay that actually happened. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to just discuss this whole Zion thing first. Um, he was limited in his minutes. Uh, we kind of know by now what he's going through. Um, the, the game opening night, he didn't particularly play well, didn't even have any rebounds, and um, was definitely a, a sore spot when it comes to the plus and minus. Overall, with Zion Williamson just limiting his minutes and everything, considering that he wasn't hurt coming into the bubble, he was perfectly healthy. Do you agree with this strategy? I realize from a broadcast standpoint, like, you know, if you're an announcer or if you're at a network, of course, you're going to complain just because, you know, they want to just keep it real. They want to see Zion in the playoffs over John Morant, as is be frank even though we could say John Moran probably had the better season you know Zion is the more blockbuster uh player and the pressure has come with that so overall do you did you feel weird him just playing you know two to three minute burst like that um or do you think it's the right thing to limit his minutes especially since I mean look at the Pelicans they've lost their 0-2 in this bubble the chances of them making the playoffs I mean they need a miracle basically so at this point, you might as well just super minute his limits, his minutes um, until his thing's over and just focus on the, on the 2021 season. Um, is, is that the right mindset or do you think he's there? They should do everything in their power to make sure they make the playoffs. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think he has, is it 15 minutes per game he's allowed to play under his I believe restriction? Around that, yeah. That sounds right to me. Yeah, so I mean, first, you know, I'd say that I assume the trainers working with him and the medical staff have a reason for this. So I, I'm definitely not going to doubt like their judgment since I, I have, you know, no insight compared to what they have uh, over his situation and whatever it's, it's, it is that they're concerned about. Um, you know, it makes me kind of concerned for his, his future in the NBA in some ways. And I, I'm not saying anything like, Zion's a bust or anything like that. Like totally the talent is there, but you'd have to assume he's, he's been conditioning and working on rehab all this time off. And he's still only able to play 15 minutes a game seems pretty concerning to me. I don't know if this is just a, kind of a warm up thing as they start in the bubble and then he'll get more and more minutes, but it, it, it is really perplexing and it seems like, one of the big goals in of the NBA. Now, of course, I, I'm not implying that the NBA wants a competitive advantage for any team or another. I, I don't think that's the case. But I do think there's a big incentive that the NBA, I mean, one of the big reasons that they probably invite these teams who are just in the playoff hunt and not just cut it to 16 teams right off the bat was that there was this chance that your rookie sensation is going to be able to make the playoffs and make some more money for that franchise, make some more money for the NBA as a whole. So it it seems like, I guess what I'm getting at with that is, I guess the NBA probably didn't know that he would still have these injury restrictions because you would just assume coming in that 
they would want him to play and they would want the Pelicans to make the playoffs. Now, again, not implying that they want to shift the odds in that favor or do any funny business to make that happen, but it's, it's just, it's good for business. If Zion becomes a star as quickly as possible. Um, so I don't know. I can't speak too much to these, these minute bursts we've talked about before. Like, I think it's really hard to find a rhythm in a game. If you're only playing three minutes at a time, it's just really hard to get anything established. He did a good job. I, I think he scored what 15 or 16 points in, in very limited minutes there. Sure. And opening night could have helped them at the end of the game. Had he had more minutes. I mean, they, they probably, in my opinion, they beat the jazz. If he was able to play in the last three, four minutes of the game. So it's, it's perplexing, but I, I find it very concerning. And I almost, feel like if if we have this big of an injury concern i appreciate him wanting to play but if if i'm the owner and seeing the way things have been and the understanding that's been there in the past two three years with load management i mean i would totally understand if if he didn't play and i would understand if that organization wanted him to just go ahead take the time work on your game work on your conditioning but don't participate in the bubble i don't know so so it's it's confusing I have, I'm perplexed by it. What are your thoughts on all this? It's weird. Um, I mean, just looking at his stats against the Clippers this weekend, I mean, he had seven points, five rebounds. Like you said, he played for 14 minutes. Um, so I just think this whole limiting his minutes thing, I don't understand how you can really see how this guy holds up but do any pressure if you don't let him loose all the way. Um, I kind of rather him have a unrestricted minutes and then see him get hurt so you can improve on him operating at full capacity. Cause at this point, when does this go on? I mean, are we going to do this the next season or the season after? Or I mean, how long are, is this minutes going to be restricted? It can't be forever. I mean, we, we can't be keep doing this all the time. So I think that's, that is a massive, that's a massive concern. Um, until yeah, and until I see him, oh, right, go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, until we see kind of the chains unleashed and we see like a 30-game, 40-game stretch in which he's playing unrestricted minutes, I can't really judge like how he's doing because his minutes is being restricted. I mean, that could lead to injury too if he's playing for these three- to four-minute bursts and he's not really, you know, if it, it takes a out of your rhythm, you never know. So it could work against him. So Overall, I just think you might as well just let the, the change off and just see how well he does with no minutes restriction. Yeah, it's almost like you're making him sprint rather than do the distance running by playing exactly. him in those short minute bursts, which seems odd. And I would just pose the question, if he can play 15 minutes, why can't he play 20 minutes? And if he can play 20 minutes, why can't he play 25 minutes? There you go. And again, maybe there's just... Stuff, well, they're definitely a stuff that, that I don't know that his training staff knows. So I, while I trust their judgment, I, I'm with you in that it seems odd and it seems like 20 minutes a game isn't a big ask. And that would have a much more significant impact than even, even from 15 going up to 20 minutes, I think would have a much more significant impact or just limiting minutes to half the game, like 24 minutes a game, you're, you're getting him to play a half of basketball. 
I, I think would, would be huge for that Pelicans team and maybe put them in the playoffs. But it's, I've, I'm concerned about him, to be honest. And, and not by anything I've seen on the court, but just why, why the minutes restriction still at this point? I don't, I don't get it. I'm yeah, it's, biz- it's bizarre management for sure. Um, let's talk about LeBron. Uh, right, your favorite player in the NBA. Um, <laughs> we, we've seen him, you know, a little bit throughout this bubble. How do you think he's looking? He he won the game um, against the Clippers, even though he didn't shoot particularly great, but he was, his purpose was getting others involved. He hit that game winner. Um, overall, I, I've i always felt this way. With the Lakers, I understand our circumstance in terms of, you know, you have AD, you have LeBron, you have the, the cast, right? And they're, they're limited depending on, you know, Kyle Kuzma. I think he's overrated. I don't really see him being a third guy, but we'll see. But with the Clippers, I'm just not feeling him. I I don't know. I mean, there's Paul George and there's Kawhi, but and I get it with Kawhi. I understand what he's done, but something just seems off with that team. I, I like them mm. defensively, but at the same time, it's like I, everybody's so in love with that team, and I just haven't felt that way compared to like the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I would favor them more, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you, you take a look at the superstars players, two superstars to one, if you're counting that. I, mean, I understand there's more involved, but as we've seen with the Toronto Raptors, just because you don't have the right amount of superstars, that kind of doesn't matter. We saw that last year. So I don't know. With the whole thing last night, I think it was indicative of the Clippers. I, I'm not sold on them you know, being an automatic lock. But with the Lakers, I'm not sold on him either. Uh, I don't know what really to make. I do trust in LeBron. I like AD's game. And for me, I don't know. It's i rather take those two over Paul George and Kawhi, even though, you know, Paul George looked really good in that first game. What are your thoughts on, on the impressions of all those players so far? Yeah, it's interesting because when you said you're not feeling the Clippers, I – I was kind of, I was getting ready to say the same thing about the Lakers. Um, I think with the Clippers, I feel a little more positive about them just because I feel like there hasn't been a long stretch of time over the course of the season where we've actually seen the Clippers as a cohesive unit all together, all playing. So I, I think if you get Lou Williams back, you have another piece. You have a lot of pieces on this team, a lot That's of true. depth. So I like that, and I like the names that I see on that roster. Uh, but, you know, there there is that question. There's the culture of that franchise. That's something big to overcome. And, of course, we know Kawhi just overcame a culture in Toronto last season. So there's certainly possibility it could happen here. Um, but I, I'm with you. I have doubts about both these teams, too. To me... Watching the Lakers on opening night, I think there was a lot of rust on LeBron's part. So, you know, and and LeBron has always, in playoff series, he usually doesn't do that well game one, where he's kind of slow and reserved, like kind of analyzing that opponent, their defensive sets, things like that. So, I mean, LeBron several times in his career has lost game one because of this. And then he comes back and, and just, you know, blows the doors off usually. Um, but, but I'm with you. Like, I, I think even less than the Clippers, I, I don't think the Lakers feel like a championship team to me. And I wasn't Definitely saying that not. just a couple of weeks, but 
like the the fit of that team and and watching them after so many months you know not not counting like the scrimmage because that that's different but th- this team does not speak championship to me and you know maybe we'll see some things in the coming weeks i'm, I'm sure lebron's gonna look better no doubt about that but um you know i i see kind of like my rockets as, as a dark horse here just because of what James Harden is able to do. And that I don't see a lot of rust in their game, even though they're so heavily reliant on the three, it doesn't seem like they've really lost a step. Uh, But again, small sample size with the amount of games that we've been able to see. But yeah, to me, I guess overall, the point I'd say at, at this point in time is that the Western conference looks wide open. It does. I think all bets are off, really. They have, like, a clear favorite. I never understood. Even with both teams, like, people were saying, oh, the Lakers are going to win the title. like, Or the Clippers, they're a lock. Like, anything can happen. It's pretty wide open in a situation. Um, Kellen Cowher had a question I want to ask this to you, um, since you are a huge fan of LeBron. If LeBron's able to pull it off and win a title, is he in the GOAT conversation? And I say that because if you look at what (laughs) – and I, I just think, for me, it's trying to remove my Michael Jordan bias is very difficult. However, just seeing LeBron in certain situations in which he almost single-handedly like beat the Golden State Warriors um, mm. a few years ago, like I just feel with this team, other than AD, and he's a big part, no doubt. I, I really like Anthony Davis, but the rest of us are supporting Cavs. Like I think Kyle Kuzma is one of the most overrated players in the NBA. I don't really understand mm. that. I, I like Brandon Ingram. I think he's proven in new Orleans that he's was a very talented member. And maybe we'll see that with Kyle Kuzma. I don't know, but currently I think it's LeBron and AD carrying his team. And especially with Rondo hurt. Um, I've seen more from Alex Caruso than I have from Kyle Kuzma, to be honest, yeah. um, in terms of making important plays. So I guess I ask you if he's able to pull this off, I mean, this is pretty significant. I mean, the things that they're saying about Kawhi, I mean, you could say about LeBron. I mean, if he pulls us off, that's three titles, three different franchises. And you can kind of argue semantics with some other ones. So what do you think about his? I know it's kind of early, but I, I just it popped in my mind when Cowher was discussing this because I think it is valid, you know, under these circumstances, especially with the bubble, everything going on, not being a rhythm. I mean, that's a pretty incredible uh, feat to pull off if he's able to, mm. to do that. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. Uh, I, I'm someone who I think I think the argument for LeBron, if you're going to go that route, which good luck, because that is a scary route to go. I, I've tried. Sure. Um, <laughs> the, the route for LeBron as the GOAT is you have to try and instead of saying, like, here's individual accomplishments, because if you look at scoring titles that MJ has, if you look at defensive player of the year that Jordan has, if you look at the individual accolades, Jordan's going to crush you every time. So the, the argument that you have to make, in my opinion, is you have to treat it like you are looking at attributes on an NBA 2K roster. And you have to say, well, let's look at LeBron's passing rating. Let's look at Jordan's passing rating. And you have to go down the list and make the argument. And you, you certainly can't for every stat. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that. But I think that's the argument is that you want to say that LeBron 
yes, he doesn't have the titles that MJ has, etc. He has, he is the one guy that if you were to build a basketball player, this is the guy that you want to build. He's genetically, you know, he's taller, just as fast, arguably, as Jordan, uh, and a bigger, bigger threat. Uh, you know, he's, he's 275 compared to Jordan's maybe 205 after he put on some weight, maybe, maybe still less even after that. I'm pretty sure he was, he was still in the 190s, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I, I do think, to your point, though, and, and to that question, this, in my opinion, is um, a notch on LeBron's belt, so to speak, to take this team to the championship. Um, but I, I also think that people who side with Jordan as the goat or just don't like LeBron for whatever reason, leftover feelings hurt from the decision or, or whatever the case may be, they're going to go to, well, this is an asterisk season and totally discredit it. So you're going to see That's things true. go both ways. In my opinion, it is a great accomplishment. And like we said, I'll, I'll say... I'll stay consistent to what I said weeks ago that whoever wins this, I I'm not putting an asterisk by this title. I think you are still competing. And especially after seeing this, this opening weekend, like this is not a joke league. I, I think you are legit champion. If, if you win the NBA finals, it's still going to be a best of seven series throughout this playoffs. You're going under that same struggle. You could argue it's, it's a little trickier with the rust coming into these games and, Potentially, like you have another narrative with Avery, Avery Bradley being gone is kind of a, a feather in LeBron's cap to use another That's weird true. analogy. <laughs> um, but so so I don't know. I, I don't know if uh, this makes LeBron the goat. I, I think LeBron's best case is the attribute argument. And then also, if we see where his career end, ends, does he end up playing until he's 41 with his son on the Lakers with him? That's the point in time where if he's still putting up stats, if he's still putting up 20 points a game, I think the body of work there is going to be very, very impressive. And that's where I think you'll see more arguments come in for LeBron as the GOAT. And I, my prediction is that it's going to be a real argument. You're never going to pull everyone to believe that one player or the other is the GOAT. Uh, and I think Jordan's held that belt very successfully for a long time. May continue to hold that overall unless LeBron, like I said, hangs around till he's in his early 40s. And you look at, he's like top of the scoring list, even though he's not known per se as a scorer. Um, you know, I think things like that, it, you have this great body of work. I don't know. Do you, do you feel like this title carries weight like that? Or would you say more like, well, these are, these are kind of strange circumstances. And, you know, this, this title was um, not as legitimate as, as a regular gear of the NBA. I think it contributes to it. I think what's going to matter more is you brought up an excellent point, and I think it plays more into the pandemic because look how fresh LeBron is. Just think, there's there's no Olympics. He's not playing the Olympics. So yeah. let's just let's play this out, right? So he had how many months of rest? Three to four months of rest. You, you're playing in a bubble. So he basically gets to, you know, you play at the games, you go home. I mean, you go to your hotel room. That is so much wear and tear off. He doesn't have to fly. Um there goes yeah. that. Then you have the off season. 
And then you have the the season. Let's say it resumes in Christmas or January. It's going to be a shortened season just to go with the calendar. I don't see them playing a full amount of games. So if the season's shortened, that's that plays for him as well. And then let's say the Olympics are canceled. That's an extended break for him. So all of this is really playing into him, just playing such a long time. And it really helps as compared to Kobe, who was banged up, who had to play a grind of 82 games. And there's, there's injuries there. So I think him winning this title, it would certainly help him. Honestly, all this rest, I think it's really going to go a long way to to your point, Matt, to where when he does play with the son, I think that's going to factor into it, too. That's an intangible where he's able to play as long and be productive with his son being in the NBA, whether they're playing the same team. I don't know, but um, or, or his son's even good enough to make the league. That's another issue right. entirely. But let's say it, it is. I mean, that's going to really, really help him. And that's something that I think longevity, um, you saw with Michael Jordan, it broke down. I mean, you saw him really kind of crack on him just winning the first three titles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's on video. He wanted to quit. I mean, we've never heard anything about LeBron wanting to quit. And I think yeah. to me, we're, again, measuring the GOAT argument. Hey, I'm the ch- in the church of Michael Jordan. However, facts are the facts. I never heard LeBron wanting to retire, right? Um Yep. And that that played with Jordan. And so I think, again, if we're going to punish, you know, one player or the other for what other decisions they're going to make, that factors into it. So um, overall, we can get into a GOAT discussion all night long. But um, the answer <laughs> to your question, I think the, long, the longevity, I think it's going to really help uh, LeBron James big time. And likability-wise, there is almost nothing I can think of that would make you more likable than playing with your son if that happens. I mean, sure. what, what is more, I mean, as, as someone who is a father and watches basketball with my son, I, I mean, if there, there's no cooler thing I can think of than, than that happening. If it were to happen, yes, very far-fetched at this point, but you never know. I, I mean, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Senior and Ken Griffey Jr. Played I was thinking together. the same thing. That, yeah. That's the only other example I can think of. I, I know there are other like father, son, Combos who have been in the league but not together. I like think Cal Ripken, obviously. Cal Ripken and his his dad and Cal Ripken Jr. I thought mm. I remember this. I just remember that because I just remember seeing like a basketball a baseball card with both of them on it. Um, ah, okay. I, I wasn't sure I if they of. were on the same team or not. My baseball knowledge isn't that deep, but you, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so so yeah, I think it's it's muddled. You know, it's fun. We're going to be able to talk about this for for years to come. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think totally LeBron has to go for that longevity argument. Yeah. I agree. Um, before we move on to our next topic, anybody else catch your eye? James Harden, Giannis, um, really any, you know, John Morant had a great debut. Um, did, did anything stand out to you? I think what I'm watching for real quickly, the Toronto Raptors and the Denver Nuggets. I think those are two Mm. teams that, are not getting talked about with this bubble with their guys back at full strength. I think they're going to be very, very interesting to watch. I am curious to see when those two teams, like when Toronto plays Boston or Milwaukee or uh, when Denver plays the Clippers um, or when they play um, the Lakers, how they're going to fare. And even something like Portland, like we saw with, with Melo, like him hitting those last shots of Portland's in the playoffs, all bets are kind of off. I mean, they're almost back at, you know, full strength as well. 
So especially without a home court advantage, that's going to change things a lot. So that's why I'm not necessarily sold on like these power teams that we've heard so much throughout the season. So I am very curious. Did anybody else stand out to you? Well, I, I definitely have to say Toronto impressed me with how they handled the Lakers. And that's something that, you know, sorry to pat myself on the back, but but I was talking about continuity the other week and how much that would be a factor. It looks like at least to this point in, again, small sample size as we open up, but the, the Raptors are a real factor in the East and they're, they're, they have a very good shot of, of coming out of the East here. Um, I, I think Giannis has looked great. Uh, it was good to see Tatum bounce or bounce back today uh, after a shaky first game. Again, that's that's maybe like a rhythm knocking the rust off thing today. Um, but he bounced back against the Blazers again. Um, I also think the the Blazers look like they have a real shot at making the playoffs. Like we were talking about a few weeks ago with Orlando Sanchez. Um, they, they've got a real shot to, to be in the mix here. And, uh, in terms of individual performances, I can't really say too much about, um, about who stood out. I mean, the James Harden and and Russell Westbrook look pretty locked in. I also think just the, the Rockets small ball thing is still going to be interesting to see, how that plays moving forward and if, if that's going to throw teams off or not. Um, but I mean, overall for right now, I, I think we've, we've covered most of those, those main players. Um, yeah. I haven't seen too much of Philadelphia to this point, but I have been hearing rumblings that Ben Simmons has been incredible in the bubble. Have you gotten to watch the Sixers much? Uh, a little bit. I mean, the only thing I saw is I think I think it was Tobias Harrison. I mean, I might be wrong about this. And um, Joel Embiid getting into an argument or something when mm. they're headed to the bench. It was all over Twitter. Um, <laughs> and I know true. with um, yeah. Um, let me just pull this up because I know the Indiana Pacers. They had a huge win against them last yeah. night. Um, and I know somebody dropped fifty on them. Let me see. Oh yeah, TJ Warren. Ben there you go. And Ben Simmons was guarding him. So it didn't really necessarily lend to Ben Simmons, uh, you know, rejuvenation of what's going on. <laughs> um, even say, it says here, Brett Brown, coach of the Sixers, un- upset with unacceptable defense. Um, and well, swing and a miss Sixers, for me so. then on, on Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was TJ Warren who the Pacers got for cash considerations from the Suns. Sorry, Josh. right um but no i think i think we touched on all the players um to that point um to just the superstars returning and i want to kind of get your kind of analysis on this because i'm seeing kind of similar um kind of comparisons but i want to get where your head's about this is the ratings because uh, I'm, mm. I'm always in the media. I like ratings. And and you, you you said that the MLB, its first week, drew a higher TV rating. And do you – would you have to have any – I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but do you have any kind of uh, hard data in terms of what you can share about that? Or was it significant? I okay, do. cool. Yeah, yes. Please. I would not have put that on, on the topics if I didn't have it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So now keep in mind it's – confounding a little bit because this is 
like opening night of the season for the MLB, whereas this is a continuation for basketball. So I, I think that is important to to just take note of. Uh, but uh, the openers for MLB happened the week before on ESPN. And so Yankees versus Nationals had 4.0 million viewers. Sure. Dodgers versus Giants had 2.8 million viewers, which is kind of surprising, but I guess Pacific time. Um, so 4.0 and 2.8 million for those two games. Uh, now, Lakers Clippers, 3.4 million. So they did better than Dodgers Giants, but 0.6 million underneath Yankees Nationals. And then Pelicans Jazz, 2.1 million. So 0.7 sure. million less than Dodgers versus Giants. So pretty interesting because, at least in my opinion, normally the MLB would not outdo the NBA in season openings. And maybe, I, maybe I'm just wrong about that. Maybe the ratings normally are for MLB. Maybe this had something to do with protesting in that the NBA players have been, I would say, the most vocal of all athletes. Uh, and, and maybe that turned off viewers. I, I don't really know exactly why that is, but those are the numbers. Uh, do you have any thoughts of, about those numbers? Um, I think to that point, Charles Barkley mentioned something like that. He said, I think it was in the pregame, like you, and this is his words, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, the league better be careful with a lot of this, um, you know, social injustice and kind of uh, pushing this all the time. Because even now I'm seeing, right, I'm watching the uh, Milwaukee Houston Rockets game. And right before there was the whole Black Lives Matter and then there was the whole anthem. Um, so that's something the league is actively doing. I could see turning some viewers off, but however, the demographics, like who look who watches the league. It's young people. It's, you know, it kind of leans to an audience that agrees with that stance anyways. And mm. also with sports, got to keep in mind, like, yeah, it's back, but it was on cable. So that's, that's a thing to consider, too, like in terms of marquee matchups. The way the ratings are is totally different. Um, and also the way a lot of fans consume content and a lot of younger fans consume content. Um, so baseball, I think, lends to itself to an older crowd. Basketball doesn't. I mean, you can catch, like you, we were just talking about, you can catch the highlights on YouTube 10 minutes. So why are you going to watch the entire game unless you're a hardcore basketball fan? Um, you can literally watch it on your phone, watch highlights on Twitter, and then bam, you're filled in. I mean, so I don't think yeah, very necessarily – a concern about the league, I would say. I mean, look at I've, since I follow ratings for multiple stuff. Look at I mean, look at WWE. Their ratings are in the toilet. It, I mean, and yet you know they have that TV deal and they're starving for TV content. So that TV provider of for the WWE, Fox, and the USA Network, it kind of doesn't really matter what TV ratings they do. It's just because it's live programming. It's better than nothing. <laughs> and no one else right. is creating content. And no one's going to be creating content for a long time. So I would say it's interesting that MLB got the higher rating. Um, I think it might be kind of irrelevant just because there may not be a baseball season. So um, I think with the NFL, it leans to, to higher ratings and how it's going to look. I think that's going to be interesting. I yeah. think with that league, clearly there was a, to your point, Matt, there is a clear um, 
decline in ratings because of what was going on Colin Kaepernick. Um, not too much, but significant enough. And the ratings backed that up, and the numbers proved that. Um, just because we've seen, you know, the ratings, in particularly last year, be really high. And that, I think that goes to a lot of reasons, too. I mean, for the first time, in my mind, being, you know, more of a casual football fan as I've gotten older, with there's been more star power. But, you know, the, um, the fact that politics was in line, was sprinkled into what you're watching during a football game, that, that was a factor. So I think overall, when we get the football, I think we're going to see that be particularly affected. But the NBA, I don't think so. I think people that, you know, have a um, angst or a something to hold the NBA against it because of the political unrest, I think you weren't watching the NBA anyways to begin with. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's going to turn anybody off. And also look how you watch a game, right? Like – Typically, you catch it when it comes on. Like, the, you know, you're in the middle of it. It's like five minutes has passed the first quarter, and then you watch it. And what I've seen so far, like, you're not seeing any of the social unjust really be pushed through the entire game. So it's only right. the first part. So overall, if you really love the NBA, just don't watch the first part of the game or watch just watch something else. Um, if you're really on, you know, if you're really unhappy about it, just don't watch the entire thing. So overall, I don't see it as a big deal however you're not the only one raising this point and i think in football i think it is going to be more of a factor um and especially because we heard players are going to be kneeling stuff like that that's going to be interesting to see because i think compared we'll get to our next topic but the players seem more unified in the nba as with the nfl still even though there's been more acceptance of what colin kaepernick did there is still a lot of players resistant to it so I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to see really with the NFL also, um, I mean, for fans that are saying, if you make this political, you lose my business, we're going to see if they're going to put their money where their mouth is. Because I, I definitely have seen a lot of people, and granted, a lot of this is comments on the internet, so, you know, if it's not even necessarily from people that I know. Um, so, so a lot of this is, is just posturing or virtue sure. signaling on whatever side of the aisle you're on or whatever. Um, but with the NFL, I, I think there has been a, a very, very patriotic element of the NFL since the early nineties, I believe. Big time. Um, so, so I think you're really going to, see a, a much more dramatic effect. If it, if it truly is offending people to the point that they are boycotting, watching the league, that's going to be very interesting to see that it'll, it'll be much more dramatic in the NFL than in the NBA, as, as you were saying, because of the demographics, et cetera, of the viewers of those leagues. And keep in mind too, like the NFL ratings dropped, but look, if you look at the top 10, most watched things on television and in 2016 like 95% was NFL and nothing was even even close Mm. Um, so yeah it took a hit but how much of a hit not too much people still gonna watch football people I mean if that Cowboys and you know their Packers are playing or there's a huge rivalry people are gonna watch that game they might be upset 
But the bottom line is, you know, your homies are coming over to watch the game. You're watching the game. <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's no other ways to do it. People can get all upset. But, there, yeah, there was a huge ratings drop compared to what they typically do. But they're so dominant. And you haven't seen a downward tra- trajectory. The NFL is so strong that it can withstand minor drops in ratings. Um, I wanted to get to this point because we're talking about it a little bit. Um, Jonathan Isaacs, who is the Atlanta Magic's, I think, center, right? He plays center for them. Uh, I think he's uh, a small forward, forward, kind of small combo forward. forward. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll confess, I've never heard of him before this whole thing happened. But uh, I had him on my fantasy team for a little I bit. Did. <laughs> gotcha. That's why. Uh, he, um, during, I think, the first, season, the first game of the return, uh, stood for the national anthem and did not wear a Black Lives Matter uh, t-shirt and it was interesting because you guys you and our buddy cedric brought to our attention and i, I kind of wanted to see how it played out before i kind of gave my opinion on this because um there was outrage because of this what he did uh negatively and i noticed that matt when we were texting you had you saw some positive response and what i saw was very negative and then um seeing him explain this to the media that he's a very very religious uh man and with me, like this, trying to just agree with his point or disagreeing with it, I don't understand his reasoning because I saw the full clip of him explaining this. And in my mind, just getting to the nitty gritty of do I agree or disagree with his stance, I don't. I agree with him having the freedom of expression to do whatever he wants through the national anthem. His reasoning, I don't really understand it. I mean, we're just getting to my honest opinion. I don't understand in terms of. Black Lives Matter, like the actual movement, not the organization in particular, why it was against it to not wear the shirt doesn't really make any sense to me. And then also, too, he said, which is I agree with some of this point. He he agrees and he says that wearing the shirt doesn't really help black lives, which is true. You know, activism does trying to fix the problem, which is true. But I haven't heard him create a charity or do anything active in this community. So that's where I'm kind of questioning him. However, my thoughts are kind of irrelevant. The bottom line is that he, you know, deserves to, has the right to um, either stand or not. And I think that's the thing with a lot of these protests. It's not so much, it's a, it's false to say that you have the right to, you know, protests in any of these leagues. That's not true. It's if you agree with the movement. That's what it comes down to. And mm. the bottom line is that if you, if you see players, they immediately they're vilified. I don't, like, if they don't want to stand or if they do things contrary to your beliefs, they're vilified immediately. I mean, he was getting called all sorts of vile names on Twitter. And it's because you don't know, people made assumptions. You don't know what, before he said anything, people were killing him online. You know what he was going to say. So, overall, I, I had a feeling that this was going to happen. Um, I respect his reason. I, I respect him doing it. I don't understand his reasoning from what I heard from the clip. Uh, but mm. overall, Matt, what, what were your thoughts about how this unfolded? And do you think there's going to be a lot more backlash for him? I mean, I wanted to mention, too, I think it was top b-ball coverage on Twitter. They said that his jersey sales have skyrocketed. I mean, yes, he's number two behind LeBron. Wow. Um, immediately. So do you think there's going to be either negative backlash or positive reinforcement for him moving forward? Mm. Interesting. <laughs> tough, tough to predict. 
so another thing I want to add to to give a little more context to this and maybe sure. the pressure that these players are feeling. Uh, I believe it was yesterday, Myers Leonard also chose to stand during the national anthem. He, he chose okay. to stand and he wore a Black Lives Matter, uh, Matter shirt. So mm-hmm. he, he stood, but he wore the shirt in solidarity with his teammates. He said his reasoning being that his brother is a Marine. Um, and, and there's a quote that he gave that I, I thought was very thoughtful and did not up, upset me personally. Um, but he also, uh, Chris Haynes, who we mentioned the other week, who's a reporter in the bubble, had mm-hmm. mentioned, he, he expressed sympathy in a tweet because he saw Myers Leonard agonizing before the game. He saw Myers Leonard brought to tears uh, because of how conflicted he felt about what is he going to do during the national anthem. And I think it's, it is a very, very interesting social study in a way to see what is going on at these games. It's to me, feels like it's almost a distraction from the movement itself. It seems like we are now talking about like gossip, what's on this player's jersey? Is this player standing? Is this player kneeling? And then we're focusing, not we, you and I, but society are focusing our targets on these players and either roasting them on Twitter, praising them on Twitter, whatever the case may be. So to me, it it feels very confused. Um, And it, it makes... In my opinion, the the message of the movement and the focus of the mu- movement a little bit confusing as well. Uh, I support freedom of expression, freedom of speech. As I've said before, there may be financial consequences to the NBA or to the players as individuals if whatever they do is not well received. But that is part of the risk of freedom of speech and expression. It doesn't protect you from consequences necessarily that that happen as a regard of that. I have the right to say whatever I want to say while I'm at work, but if I say things that are out of line, unprofessional, slanderous, et cetera, there's going to be consequences for that for sure. It doesn't absolve me of consequence. So I, I think um, getting back to Jonathan Isaac, I know that – there's a very religious component to him. I believe he has an organization or maybe maybe he didn't start it, but he just participates in it. I believe it's called Jump Sermon. I was trying to look okay. it up, but but basically that, um, you know, is, is kind of like an evangelistic type of effort um, to spread gotcha. the gospel. Um, and, and I don't know exactly if, the, if that's a community thing, but his his quote was basically saying that, uh, black lives are saved as all lives are saved through the gospel, um, which I think drew some heat for critics of him. Uh, so, so I don't know. They're kneeling for certain uh, certain practices in Christianity. Uh, kneeling is done specifically in prayer. There are even things in in church called kneelers. In, in some churches where you kneel to pray, uh, especially when doing things like confession of sin and, and things like that. So for, 
for some Christians, not not all certainly, because I know there are a lot of Christians that were kneeling that that are with the movement. Um, I I think um, for some Christians though, it's it is not something that they see as appropriate for doing any time outside of church. And again, I think with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, I, I think that should be acceptable. But you know, we all have different backgrounds from where where we come from. Uh, I personally don't criticize Jonathan Isaac for what he did, but I'm very curious as to what his teammates' thoughts are and if there's a little distance between them in the locker room now. Um, and I think there's also some confusion with the maybe the the movement group itself, like blacklivesmatter.org, where you can look up their mission statement and things like that. And then I think there's there's conflation of that with the statement Black Lives Matter. And and I think on a larger scale, that's brought some some confusion to the movement as a whole, is where, you know, for I think the vast majority of Americans, I mean, I would say 99% plus, maybe my eyes are too rosy or whatever, but I think if you pose them with the statement, hey man, Black Lives Matter, I think people say, yes, absolutely. Uh, as citizens of America, as, as just the regular guy on the street, you pose that. And then for some people, there is there's a break maybe with the organization and things that are posted on their mission statement that, that you can find online. And, and we don't have to get into all the nitty gritty on that, but I think that could be where some of the confusion or, or maybe, yeah, just, just general confusion with the statements being made is coming from, I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I feel you. Um, just sticking to Jonathan Isaacs. I, like I said before, I, Never had a problem with him standing, and that goes for Mile Leonard, too, for anybody. Um, and I think we talked about this, how the league was going to be in a rough spot putting players in this position in which what if they don't, for whatever reasonings they have, they automatically look like a bad guy without even hearing them out. It doesn't matter really what they say. It doesn't really matter what my opinion is. It's and In terms of the masses, they look like the bad guy. And it's on, It's on. I think it's unfortunate. Um, yeah. I think some breaking news, Matt. I just just on Twitter here um, with the Magic playing the Kings. Um, Jonathan Isaac went down with a knee injury. Um, he was driving in the paint here, and it looks like he just tweaked his knee. And they're covering. You know how in an in the injury they, they cover up with a towel. That's not a bad. That's a terrible sign when they're covering oh, no. it up. So uh, he, he, they need a wheelchair for him. So I don't know what ha- what's what's going on with him, but. Um, just, just stay tuned for Twitter and just your um, favorite NBA source for more information. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't look good. He's hobbling in pain. It definitely seems it's something horribly went wrong. So I, I hope for a speedy recovery for him. Absolutely, and I I think he was he had a previous knee injury. Uh, I think even before coming into the bubble, because a lot mm-hmm. of people were speculating that that was the reason that he didn't kneel was was for the knee injury uh but that mm-hmm. that was not the case as he clarified through his statements you know another thing that i wanted to bounce off of you get get your thoughts on was sure uh the fact that coach popovich also decided to stand uh for True. the national anthem he's someone who has been along with steve kerr they're kind of like the joke presidential candidates of of the nba you know mm-hmm. a pop right. kerr ticket 
uh, we've joked about <laughs> in, in our group chat. Um, he also decided to stand for the national anthem. He served in the military, I believe, in the Navy, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm sorry if, if I got that wrong. Um, but anyway, any, any thoughts on him standing for the, the anthem? Do you think that um, is most likely indicated by his military service? Uh, but it's, he's been very, very pro-social justice movement in, in general. I think for people on Twitter that criticize him, you look very foolish for criticizing him. And that goes for LeBron. And I think it goes for anybody. And, and, and I think with Jonathan Isaacs, too, until you hear them out, until you can make up your own opinion, right? Um, until you get enough background information to understand what is happening. Because we're in a very much a clickbait, who's trending, who's not. Who, and I think everybody does this. Celebrities do this all the time. They see one minute of a clip and then they freak out and you don't really understand the context. And I think with Popovich, he has every right. I mean, if he does. And that goes separate from what he's done for social injustice. Like he doesn't like to me, I don't want to get into this thing of, oh, he has a past because he, you know, spoke up and he hates Donald Trump. No, he has a he has the, the fundamental right to do whatever he wants with the national anthem. That's the whole Agreed. point. <laughs> if he wants to kneel, if he wants to stand, fine. That's that's his own choice. Whether or not he's about the movement, you need to do research and hear his past interviews, um, hear his stances. It's abundantly clear he's for Black Lives Matter. Just listen to one interview um, and you'll understand. So I have really no thoughts. It was just, okay, yeah, that's his choice. But, you know, in social media, we're in a very clickbaity um era and we have a lot of people that don't do the research or do any homework on anything so i could see him you know taking some heat for that you know even though that is beyond ridiculous i didn't hear anything from media members so that's good i didn't, I didn't hear anything prominently from anybody with any kind of a recognizable voice criticizing popovich for that so i think that's good um but i'm sure there's some fools on twitter that are kind of criticizing him for no reason well, there's always that. We can we can count on that. Uh, yeah. Another thing, just to to bounce this idea off of you, and and again, we've already both kind of stated like being pro freedom of expression, freedom of speech, sure. et cetera. Do you think now? Now I'm talking more like putting my business hat on for the NBA. Sure. I'm one of the owners or the commissioner, et cetera. Adam Silver. Is, would the NBA be better served? And I know that there's this perspective that this is for the greater good of society. Uh, so, so there is absolutely that understanding. Would the NBA be better served having the players in the locker rooms while the anthem is played and then bring them out on the court? I mean, obviously, I'm not saying put the brakes on all this and now they do this, would they have been better served this happening on an opening night rather than what we've seen so far? You know, interesting you brought that up because there was a little bit of a controversy. And I think um, our, our friends from the WNBA Nation podcast brought this up, that mm -hmm. ESPN got their Twitter wrong. And I forgot which WNBA game it was, but I think it was the first one. Yeah, um, I think it was right. the Storm and the mm -hmm. Liberty. Yes. And so basically, ESPN stated that when the national anthem came on, they just walked off the court. That that was inaccurate. They were they they stayed in the locker room while the anthem was playing. So it wasn't like the they, the music played and they just said you know f this we're out of here. They they were they were already in the locker room while the anthem was playing. 
So they they did that in the WNBA, at least in that game. Um, for me, I don't think so. I think, you know, kneeling, for me, it's an expression of you recognize something's wrong with the country while we're still respecting the country. That was the whole point with Colin Kaepernick. That's why it irritates me with Kaepernick and why he doesn't just say this. Because we've, we've been down this road very clearly. He did. I think there was even an in-person interview between him and the uh, military serviceman that you know gave him this suggestion. Because originally, as we talked about a billion times before, Kaepernick was just sitting on the bench while the anthem was playing. And it was the serviceman that told him, hey, you kneel, you show respect to the flag while protesting. You know, kill two birds, one stone. And with this, I see what you're saying where it kind of become a spectacle. I think you're right. I think there's some negative uh, ramifications through this. I'm not a fan of because automatically the person that's not, you know, kneeling, they're the villain. And it just turns into a big fiasco. So I, I personally think it's a test of our society just to kind of deal with this <laughs> um, and understand others to check people on Twitter to, to make sure if they're saying something stupid to educate them in a ways that, you know, like Drew Brees was educated and like in the opposite way where if Popovich, you know, wanted to stand and educate some moron on Twitter saying, hey, you know, you're racist, you're whatever. Hey, no, Popovich has been very outspoken. This is his belief. This is what he wants. You need to not judge him before you flip out and lose your handle. So overall, I think it's up to people online to have better judgment. Maybe I'm being naive and thinking that. Um, but overall, I rather have that freedom of expression, like you were saying, Matt, to people to do whatever they want during the national anthem than to just kind of close it off because people will take get their feelings hurt on Twitter. Um, I, I want that avenue to be available to all players to express themselves in which they want to. So we'll see. I don't overall. I think I'm curious to see this first week. I've noticed. They, like I said before, they show the anthem. I'm wondering as we get through two weeks, three weeks, are they going to still be showing this every single time? That's the, that's the question. Mm, yeah. Let me let me say something real quick. This is going to seem way sure. out of left field, but I, I think I can bring it back and, and relate it. Uh, so I, I've been told by some people that the sequel trilogy for Star Wars is <laughs> excellent. If you read the uh, the comics or the the novels that go along with it to explain the story beside it, um, you grow up with Luke Skywalker as a hero. You see what they do to him in the Last Jedi. Pretty jarring if you are a hardcore OT Star Wars fan, original trilogy. Sorry, Star Wars fan as I am. Now, point being, I shouldn't need to read. A bunch of novels to appreciate the sequel trilogy. These are the main movies. I should be able to appreciate it here. Now, not exactly the same, but if if we're getting into debates about you know what what is supposed to be like a unifying anthem, and I'm not disagreeing with anything you just said there, but if if we're getting into a big long side explanation of of what's going on with the anthem and why this is respectful or not respectful, et cetera. I think that's where maybe some of the outrage is being driven from is that 
people aren't doing the reading. And, and sure, you can call that ignorant, etc. But I, I think that's a lot of the reason that we see some divide here is because we're seeing like, well, when I grew up all through school, etc., you stand for the national anthem. This is a time for unity, etc. To do something different than that is divisive. Is is kind of like a general overview of what I would say. Many people believe. Uh, maybe not as many today. I I don't know. Um, and, and then you see that that you have to have all these these different explanations of, you know, like check out this interview with the Green Beret that spoke with Colin Kaepernick, et cetera. I, I think that's where maybe things are like a little lost in translation and why there's so much friction and heat around this, why this is such a spectacle that honestly we'll, we'll continue to be observing because I don't think, you know, with honestly like Congress taking a, a long weekend this weekend and, and things like that, uh, I don't know that I have faith that the players are going to see the change that they want to see. Um, and whatever your views are on that, that's, that's fine. Those are your views. But it's, it's interesting to me as a fan of the NBA watching this and wondering kind of like, what, what is the end game here? What is going to, to bring satisfaction to these players? Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting off on a little tangent there. Does, does that kind of make sense? My, my overall point, though, is that it's, it's tough when there's this, this big side explanation. Yeah, it is. I just think overall, uh, more understanding, more education, and not just sniping at each other and just sure. treating people with hostility, it's going to go a long way. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I want to get to this our last point, which was um, Tom Thibodeau um, signing a five-year contract with the New York Knicks. So he is stepping into the lion's den. Um, I mean, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this? I mean, I don't think we have to go too much in depth. I mean, he's he have a proven track record. Um, it did not go well with the, with the Timberwolves. So that yeah. is a situation in which this is way worse. Um, and but at the same time, he has experience dealing with a you know hostile situations, and that goes all the way to his um, days back in Boston. So if there's anybody that has, you know, the experience to deal with, you know, not the ideal um, circumstances with ownership, players, et cetera, it is um, Thibodeau. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I would be remiss to take the lead on this point because you've had your eyes on Tom Thibodeau for much longer yeah. than I have being a diehard Bulls fan. So I actually want your thoughts first and then I'll add wh whatever I think um, can add anything. But I I'd like your thoughts first, actually. Um. I'm wondering with him how much control he's going to have over the makeup of the team. And from a standpoint of really rebuilding that franchise to just have some common sense as the rest of the league. Because we've seen pretty much, I don't know, this is an unscientific poll, but... I would say almost every team in the league, except for a few of them, over the last, I would say, ever since the lockout season has happened, get at least a franchise player, somebody like either trade or draft or do something in which they had a couple of years of decent success. Um, whether you talk about the Sacramento Kings in the early 2000s or the Detroit Pistons or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Golden State Warriors, we've seen where... 
or even Toronto. We've seen low market teams that have limited resources not only be successful, but win titles and become dynasties. So for the New York Knicks that have unlimited resources, has one of the most richest franchises in all sports, um, for them to be struggling and only have limited success in the playoffs these past, I would say, 20 years since 2000, I think is a disgrace. So I think for Thibodeau, I would like to know like how much of freedom he's going to have and basically forming this team that goes coaching staff too. And with James Dolan, I have little faith, but we'll see. I think if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm happy. That's a good hire. Um, it's a step in the right direction. However, to me, especially with the pandemic going on, like how the draft's going to be affected, you know, summer league, like really everything going on, how that's, how that's going to really affect things it is a a big nerve-wracking so and also we have to see with Thibodeau too he clashed with the front office especially with the Bulls I mean a lot that was always a thing so I'm sure that's not going to be magically better in New York so I have huge reservations I am hoping for the best I am not optimistic but we'll see Thibodeau says in an interview that this is his dream job come true um Interesting quote that I, I just found by R.J. Barrett, uh, the star rookie for the New York Knicks. Seems like he's going to develop into, into a great talent. Um, we actually saw him at Summer League together uh, last year. We did. Um, quote from R.J. Barrett. Here we go. Quote, that old man is going to try and play me 48 minutes a game. I'm not trying to end <laughs> up like Kristaps Porzingis and tear my ACL. R.J. Barrett Here we on go. Tom Thibodeau possible hiring. Here we go. Very, yeah. very interesting. Um, my my thoughts on this. I mean, Tom Thibodeau is a great coach. I'm I'm not going to deny that. Even with the mess in uh, Minnesota, how how that all ended up. I mean, some of that you can maybe put some blame on Jimmy Butler. Other situations there. There was a lot of drama there. Um, and, and so he should deserve some heat for that. I'm not blaming the entire situation on him, though. Um, one of the nicest things you could say about James Dolan, and I know there's there's not many in, in most people's opinion, but he has been very hands-off in terms of running the front office, actually, once his pieces are in place. Uh, famously he said about Phil Jackson that he trusted him completely. It's not his job to intervene, even when Phil Jackson was making some questionable moves in the organization. So I I don't think James Dolan is going to get in Thibodeau's way. I've been looking and I can't see in the deal. It it looks like they have just hired him as a head coach. So I don't think he has front office control as, as like a, president of basketball operations or anything like that. You have to imagine he's going to be heavily involved. Uh, But from what I can see on the terms of the deal, I I don't see anything that mentions him as also president of basketball operations. Um, Long story short, though, I don't really see Coach Thibodeau at this point as a builder, which is what the Knicks need. I see him more as the guy that you go to when you're – team is already in place at this point. Uh, yes, he did kind of build up that Bulls team. You could argue they were, they were very young and he certainly helped with Rose's development and Jimmy Butler's development. 
but I, I don't really see him being a good fit with the Knicks roster as it is right now. I hope he proves me wrong. I would love to see the Knicks be great, be in the playoffs again. I, I just think it's good for the NBA overall. But I, I think this will end similar to how things ended in Minnesota with just kind of disappointment. Uh, but, hey, another big payday for Tom Thibodeau. So congratulations to him for that. For sure, for sure. Um, and I like him as an analyst, so it's a bummer to see him go. But, mm. you know, I think he always wants to get back into coaching. So we'll see how that plays out for sure. For sure, um, for Was sure. there anything, Matt, you wanted to add before we uh, say goodbye? Man, I think we have said a mouthful. No interview this <laughs> week, you guys. But probably for the best since we had a lot to discuss on opening night. Thank you guys for listening. If, if you've made it this far, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. Facebook is triple double podcast on Twitter. Our handle is at trip dub podcast email, any questions, concerns, things to discuss triple double podcast at gmail.com. We appreciate you guys very much for your support. Please like share review the, uh, the podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts and we will be back with another hopefully great episode next week. We will. So from Matt Thomas, I'm Justin Goodgen. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.